podcasting from Dallas, Texas. I am Shireen, and this is the Yumlish Podcast. Yumlish is working to empower you to take charge of your health through diet and exercise and reduce the risk of chronic conditions like type 2 diabetes and heart disease. We hope to share a unique perspective and a culturally relevant approach to managing these chronic conditions with you each week. In today's episode, Dr. Alana Biggers will be discussing how and why people develop high blood sugars, get diabetes, the different types of diabetes, and then the relationship between sleep and type 2 diabetes. Stay tuned. Dr. Alana Biggers is an internist and an assistant professor of medicine at the University of Illinois Chicago College of Medicine, where she received her MD degree. She has interest in achieving health equity through health outcomes research. Dr. Briggers currently has an NIH grant for research to study the effects of mindfulness meditation and sleep on type 2 diabetes and heart disease risk in communities of color. Welcome, Dr. Biggers. Thank you. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure having you on. Dr. Biggers, I first want to kick things off with understanding why has this been your passion? Why study um, these interesting topics? Interesting in my world, but why <laughs> study these topics around diabetes? What, what really led you to it? Yeah, diabetes, other chronic conditions as well. So I do have a Master of Public Health in um, Chronic Disease Epidemiology uh, and from Tulane uh, University. And I will say that when I first entered into the program, I had no idea what to expect, uh, but it really just it kind of changed my world and changed my lens and, you know, uh, the the disparities that I was seeing in different communities, it was able to give me the language behind there. Uh, so I went, to, uh, after I got my master's of public health, I did work at the CDC for about three years uh, and then decided to move on to a medicine because I had this passion to kind of combine, you know, population health with medicine, oftentimes these two worlds work, uh, you know, in silos. Um, more so in the last, I will say, a couple of decades, there's been more of a push to uh, definitely merge the two worlds. But I felt like that that it was a space that I really um, could make an impact. So for me, also in between that time, between getting my master's of public health and going into medical school, uh, something personally happened to me. Uh, my father uh, died from a stroke. So he was a presumably healthy man, had a PhD in math, so very smart you know, had uh, health insurance. So, you know, all the reasons that you hear people saying that oh, chronic conditions are in different uh, communities, you know, like lack of access to health care, et cetera. He didn't fit that bill. He even also worked out. Uh, he didn't eat sweets. He did, you know, he was, he was a presumably healthy man. But one thing that he would not do and didn't feel comfortable doing was actually going to see a physician. And uh, so, you know, like where my mom and, you know, took us or herself to have annual visits, my dad didn't do that at all. Uh, he was at uh, the university where he was teaching um, and had a headache, went to his office and um, uh, was, was found down. So had ended up having a stroke 
from undetected high blood pressure. His blood pressure at the time that it happened was in the 200s over 100s. Um, and yeah, so, and unfortunately my dad did not survive. So, you know, I, I carried that with me and still carry that with me as well, uh, you know, and uh, think about like maybe if he had a physician that he could relate to, that he felt comfortable with, that, uh, you know, maybe he would would be, he would have been less reluctant to go to a doctor. And so I know this, you know, we're not talking about this today, but medical mistrust is a huge issue in different communities of color uh, for reasons that are um, very, you know, legitimate historical reasons. Um, so, you know, I carried that passion with me too uh, going in. And I feel like uh, I, I want to be, I guess, as an internist, be used um, and and giving information to different communities, different people, helping to empower them, and really wanting to, um, you know, relate and connect and 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 see whether or not hopefully I can make a difference in someone else's life. You know, the way that um, and, you know, unfortunately, it didn't happen for my father. So that's really does drive my passion for the work that I do. That is so interesting. And I, I'm so sorry to hear that. And thank you for sharing that story. It, I'm sure yeah. it's got to be, it, it, it is painful, but at the same time, it has that purpose yeah. around that work that you do is so mission oriented to say that this, this doesn't need to happen. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but thank you so much for, for sharing that. I always tell my my students, you know, that the work that we do as physician only accounts for about 10% of somebody's um, health, their overall health. And, and I feel like in my dad's case, you know, he needed that 10%. So, so yeah, so definitely, um, it, like I said, drives me and hopefully, you know, want to make a difference in someone else's life. As we as we sort of look at this and you know for our conversation here today, we really want to focus on um, understanding diabetes in particular, um, and also just try to understand, especially around your research, which is very interesting. We're going to you know come to it in, in just a minute here. Um, can you help us understand? You know, just first let's talk about understanding diabetes itself, right? So. Uh, Diabetes is usually a lifelong disease in which there are high levels of sugar in the in the blood. Help us understand how and why does our blood have high levels of sugar? Like what is even causing it to happen in the first place? Yeah, so um, diabetes is a metabolic disorder. So, you know, your body is a well old machine, right? You have your your heart that's pumping blood, you have your your brain that is processing different um, uh, neurons throughout the day and senses and kind of bringing it together and allowing you to take action, et cetera. And then metabolism, it helps with um, creating energy for your muscles and for your movement, right? So uh, with diabetes, uh, you know, your, your metabolism is impaired in that case. So, you know, anytime you eat anything, uh, your body breaks it down into nutrients that it can use. And like I said, it feeds, you know, the different organs in your body. Um, so, you know, like your, your blood sugars will go up and then your pancreas in particular creates a hormone called insulin. And so insulin uh, will help to bring those blood sugars down and also to help 
like uh, get the blood sugars into the different organs. Um, but with type, well, with diabetes in general, that's impaired. So whether or not it's type one diabetes or type two diabetes. So if your um, your body is not producing insulin, then those blood sugars have nowhere to go. So they're in your blood. Um, and in that, and over time, that can cause damage to your organs in your body, whether it's your heart, whether it's your, your kidneys, brain, et cetera. So that's a few basics on diabetes. And you mentioned the different types of diabetes. Can you help us understand the difference between type one and type two? Yeah. So um, type one is an autoimmune uh, uh type of diabetes. So usually uh, someone is diagnosed um, in their childhood, whether or not it's with their baby or is it later on in life? Usually. Sometimes it can happen in adulthood, um, but typically it happens within, um, you know, your early years of life. So your body is not making, your, your pancreas in particular is not making any insulin. So you are dependent on insulin for the rest of your life. Um, yes, Diet and exercise is always good for you, but regardless of you doing diet or exercise, your pancreas is not making any insulin. So you need to have insulin, lifelong insulin with type 1 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes, on the other hand, is acquired um, diabetes. So, you know, your, your pancreas is working fine. And then, you know, things happen along the way, whether it's aging, sometimes that can do it, um, you know, being overweight. Um, and we can talk about those types of risk factors too. But your pancreas is just not producing the um, same amount of insulin that it was before. It's, there's a strain on it. Uh, so it's causing some of the similar effects with uh, as type 1 diabetes, not being able to like process those um, and break down those blood sugars for you. Uh, so that is in the, a majority of people have type 2 diabetes. Okay. That, that's helpful to know. Now, in looking at type 1 and type 2 diabetes, um, you know, you mentioned the most common one is type 2 diabetes. Can you help us understand why that type 2, I guess, is more common than type 1? Yeah. So, you know, so type 1, again, it being autoimmune, there, it can run in families, can be genetic. Um, but whereas type 2 diabetes, a lot of it, honestly, is driven by our higher rates of obesity. So uh, people gaining weight, um, uh, it, like I said, it can put a strain on your body. Just so you know, like even if you feel, uh, if you've ever had weight gain, and you're like, oh, my knees don't work as well anymore. So now you're, you're like, having your pancreas try to work harder to process different foods that you're eating and breaking down, um, you know, sugars, uh, et cetera. And it's just not working as efficiently as it is or as it was previously. So, um, so you're, 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 you're just not being able to put out as much insulin. Um, and, and again, most of the time it is driven by um, weight gain. And then, um, how does diabetes affect across racial groups? Yeah, so unfortunately, it hits different communities of color differently. Uh, so um, uh, the, the 
American Indian, Alaskan Natives, they have higher rates of type 2 diabetes, um, followed by um, non-Hispanic Blacks and Hispanic um, populations um, and Asian populations, uh, you know, in that order. So it, it is more um, prevalent, like there were higher rates in different communities of color and for multiple reasons, it's very multifactorial. Can, can you talk about some of those factors? What, what kind of factors are we talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, um, again, unfortunately driven, a lot of it is driven by rates of obesity. So um, uh, there are higher rates of obesity in certain communities of color as well. Um, but then, uh, you know, it's not just, oh, uh, you have to look at the bigger picture. I'll just say that. So it's not just like, oh, well, this population, there are higher rates of obesity. So that's why, but you, we, you know, I always ask the question of why, why is that happening? Right. So again, very multifactorial, um, you know, neighborhoods, you have to look at that. Um, you know, there are, um, unfortunately communities of color are at higher risk for living in under-resourced neighborhoods. Um, and that lends itself to, um, people not being as physically active, not having the green space, not having sidewalks, that type of thing. And in that case, that actually, um, it, puts them at higher risk for having uh, higher rates of obesity, which again can lead to like type two diabetes. Um, there are other factors as well. Um, um, and you know, like if you, somebody in your family has it, you probably have a higher propensity of getting it yourself. That's, it's not a, uh, I don't wanna say, it's definitely not a given because I actually have heard people say things like that. Like, uh, like they're not surprised, like, oh, well, my father has it and my aunt has it. So, you know, at, it was a given I was supposed to have it, right? So yes, you are at higher risk for getting that, um, for getting uh, diabetes, but that doesn't mean that you have to get it. So I just wanna put that out there as well too um you know uh, uh in certain communities of color they're at higher risk of having what they call food deserts or food swamps which um you know where uh, there are either there there's access to foods but they're not of higher nutritional value again adding to that those rates of obesity too um another one believe it or not is sleep health uh so sleep health is um uh there's a sleep disparity amongst communities of color compared to to other groups too so not getting enough sleep um that can lend itself to type 2 diabetes and or, or yeah sort of type 2 diabetes. Perfect segue for me. Thank you for building that up, <laughs> Dr. Riggers. But perfect segue into, um, you know, going into that next topic, which is, you know, you've done some research on this relationship uh, yourself. You've done this, this research on this relationship between sleep and type 2 diabetes. Um, can you share with us what this relationship looks like, why it's important? Yeah, so uh, it's one of those things that I feel like is emerging over the last several um, you know, years in terms of the importance of sleep health. So you're hearing it more so in the news. Um, but uh, many people don't know that sleep health actually can impact your um, risk for ha getting type 2 diabetes. So, um, you know, 
uh, us as a nation, we're not getting enough sleep. Enough sleep is anywhere between seven to nine hours a night as an adult. Um, of course, the kiddos, they need more sleep, uh, but, you know, go 18 and older, um, seven to nine hours is the recommended time. Um, so and sleep deprivation is uh, people who get less than six hours of sleep a night. I have been guilty of it myself, so, <laughs> um, but um, they have seen in multiple studies that people who are not getting enough sleep are at higher risk for developing type 2 diabetes or um, if they have type 2 diabetes, um, worsening diabetes too. Uh, so again, multifactorial, but one of the um, leading thoughts is that, you know, um, uh, not getting sleep deprivation, not getting enough sleep can actually increase like your cortisol levels. That's a stress hormone. Um, so it impairs your ability to process sugars again, right? So, um, so yeah, so that they've seen in multiple studies that like after a night of sleep deprivation that people end up having um, their, their blood sugar levels are off. Um, and there are other studies that show that there's an association between um, low sleep um, or not getting enough sleep and, uh, and type 2 diabetes. So, so that's where um, that connection comes in play. That's interesting. And so one, once that happens, so it's, it's, so what I'm hearing from you is, is the cortisol has to do with it, which has that impact on that ability. It's almost like a ripple effect, right? Not enough sleep means the, the impact on the sugar, which then, which means the impact on the stress, which means an impact on the sugar. So it's, it's, and so that's why when we talk about, you know, these are all the different risk factors. It is really the culmination of this. And then also the ripple effect that each of these factors have on one another that can also lead to lead to that. So that's, that's an interesting point. Um, tell us more about this research. What do you, would you plan to gain out of it? Yeah. So, um, and just to, to add to that too. So, um, uh, the, uh, their communities of color are most affected by this, um, you know, sleep deprivation um, and poor sleep health too, because um, uh, they are at uh, you know, higher risk for having like non-standard um, working times, right? Working overnight shifts and being up all night or, you know, non-standard shifts. So um, you can see that, um, again, um, Black, um, Latinx communities, they have um, higher rates of uh, poor sleep health in general. So that could be a factor that's contributing to um, type 2 diabetes. Um, so in my first study that I did, I, it was just an observational study um, looking at Black and Latinx uh, populations with type 2 diabetes um, and looking at their sleep health. Uh, so yes, and needless to say that it, the sleep health wasn't as good as we hoped it to be. Um, uh, in my current study, what I did was I wanted to, um, in this this time, um, uh, look at uh, um, Black populations with type 2 diabetes and seeing whether or not a mindfulness meditation intervention could actually improve their sleep. Um, and with the end goal of hopefully improving their type 2 diabetes and, um, and then type 2 diabetes is a risk factor for um, heart disease too. Uh, and so, and then thus, you know, improving their heart 
disease risk too, so or their heart health overall. So that's what I'm hoping to see. Um, there is literature in there that uh, looks at mindfulness meditation. There have been some associations. So the, the research is mixed, but there has been some associations with mindfulness meditation improving your A1C numbers for and, you know, for instance, um, many of the read or most of the research actually is not done in communities of color. So I thought it was important to focus on um, a black um, African-American population for this. It, it's a smaller study, so a small study um, uh, to, to get some some data going forward. So um, these uh, community colors in general have kind of been um, uh, uh largely left out of um, uh, research that's related to mindfulness meditation. And the, again, we could talk a long time about that as well. Um, so, but there are different movements that you see about um, bringing mindfulness meditation because it has, you know, there are benefits to not just type two diabetes, but to improving sleep, um, improving stress levels, um, improving, you know, feelings of, of pain that, you know, chronic pain that people feel too. So, um, yeah, there's, again, it, it's uh, one of those emerging areas that have been going over over the last couple of decades. And, um, you know, I wanted to bring this um, type of intervention to, um, to, to this population. You know, Dr. Biggers, as you're, as you're sort of mentioning the sleep element, it, you know, it's, it's hard to, to not even see like a person who has diabetes, especially a person who's newly diagnosed with diabetes, right? trying to manage all of these different components of their lives and still trying to live their life yes. and live everything else <laughs> that comes in it. What what would you say to someone to say, okay, how do I get my seven to nine hours of sleep and eat healthy and physical activity and manage my stress, mindfulness? What would you say to someone like that who says life is complicated to begin with? Now you're going to add all of these other things that I have to do for diabetes. What would you say to someone like that? Yeah. And it's like, I just got diagnosed with this and you're throwing all these things at me. Um, yeah. Um, I try to tell people to, um, you know, uh, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and that, um, you know, take it one step at a time, honestly, start where you are. So, um, you know, I try, I, I give people, my patients, um, just general information about, you know, diabetes, what their diagnosis could mean, et cetera. You know, of course I give them the space to ask questions and to talk, et cetera. Um, if, you know, leading, giving people opportunities to meet with nutritionists and um, taking a class on diabetes, I think it's helpful. Um, but in those, you know, 20 minutes that you have with the patient, right, you know, you, you, you try not to overwhelm them, but then you also try to instill in them that, um, you know, this is a time, you know, I want you to feel empowered. So start where you are. Um, if you are a person who is, you know, I, I kind of go through like the foods, like, I'm like, are you a, you know, carb, you know, person, if they don't know what that means, you know, whether or not it's, you know, breads, or you like potatoes, etc. And if or, or rice, you know, if they tell me that I'm like, okay, well, you know, um, I'm not telling you to cut out completely, I'm going to tell you to cut down significantly, we're talking about 
want portion control right now. Um, and then like, if it is rice, I'm going to ask you to do some type of rice, you know, white rice, like some rice of substitute, right? So like brown rice or quinoa or, you know, something, a barley, something that is a, more of a complex car. So we go into that discussion too, like what's a complex car? Um, if somebody's a potato person, I'm like, okay, well, you know, uh, sweet potatoes, believe it or not, not with the sugar in it though, <laughs> you know, it's a complex car. Um, so, or, you know, like red potatoes, but keeping the skin on, um, again, portion control, but, you know, you know, get more of the complex carb. If they're a sweets person, you know, same conversation. So, you know, we're cutting down significantly. We're not going to cut out. If you are like a soda pop person, um, you know, I'm telling you water, water, water is your friend, you know, so we, you know, we have those um, discussions and you want to meet with them like more often too. So you don't want to just be like, all right, here you go. Bye. And then I'll see you in, in, in three months and see what your new A1C is, right? So like, you know, whether or not they need a two week follow up to check how their blood sugars are going, or if they, you know, need to see them back within six weeks, just to, um, uh, you know, see how things are going with, 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 with everything. So um, yeah, so that's how I try to approach it. So try not to overwhelm them. You know, we, again, we also talk about like their physical activity. If they're not doing anything, all right, how about you just take a walk, you know, just a couple times a week. Or um, if there's somebody who can't get out or is super cold, like I'm here in Chicago, it's super cold. Um, you know, we talk about home exercises or if there's somebody who they're not very mobile, you can do some exercises in your chair. Um, so I try to give people resources around that. And also I do ask about their sleep health too. And, you know, like what's, what's challenging for them, right? So if they're a person who... Um, uh, it's hard for them to go to sleep or they're noticing that they're snoring or something, you know, some type of sleep assessment, then, okay, well, then, you know, maybe we need to have you get assessed by a sleep doctor and do a home sleep test. If there's someone who watches TV and likes to have the lights on, we talk about sleep hygiene, um, you know, having um, dark room, no TV on, um, you know, keeping that blue light filter on your phone, even though I know that's a little, sometimes they say it works and or it doesn't work as well as they say it, it should. Um, but, you know, those are all measures to try to um, improve someone's sleep health. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate you going through that because, you know, it, it is it is also incredibly hard to find doctors like that who are taking the time to explain those things, which is like a whole another episode that we can do have a conversation around. Uh, but but with that, for this episode, we are toward the end of time here on this episode, Dr. Biggers. But at this time, I would love for our listeners to know how they can connect with you uh, and just learn more about your work after this. Yeah, absolutely. So you can connect with me um, in different ways. Um, Dr. Alana Biggers on Facebook. Um, uh, Dr. Alana Biggers actually on Instagram as well. Um, my Twitter uh, is doc underscore prevention. And I feel like that's probably all, all of the uh, <laughs> different ways you can connect with me. I'm still working on the website. 
Yes, exactly. Oh, my social media. I do have a, a website that we, we're building as a landing page. So um, um, when it becomes live, it is DrLanaBiggers.com. So. Love it. And um, thank you, Dr. Bigger, so much for coming on the episode and chatting with us. Um, to our listeners who are listening out there, um, help, get over to our social media. Find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Find the post for this particular podcast episode and answer this quick question. How are you managing diabetes for yourself, for your family members? So get over to our social media, answer this quick question. Again, you can find us on Facebook at Yumlish, or you can find us on Instagram at Yumlish underscore. Get over there, uh, uh, you know, find this uh, post for this podcast episode and answer this quick question there. Dr. Biggers, it was such an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. And thank you for having me here. Thank you for listening to the Yumlish podcast. Make sure to follow us on social media at Yumlish underscore on Instagram and Twitter and at Yumlish on Facebook and LinkedIn for tips about managing your diabetes and other chronic conditions and to chat and connect with us about your journey and perspective. You can also visit our website, yumlish.com for more recipes, advice, and to get involved with all of the exciting opportunities Yumlish has to offer. If you like this week's show, make sure to subscribe so you can hear more from us every time we post. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Remember, your health always comes first. Stay well.